0: Welcome to Charlotte Mason Motherhood, the podcast that helps the everyday mother learn a practical application of the Charlotte Mason method. In our last podcast, we covered the second of the three instruments of education. Today we are discussing the third instrument of education, education is a life. Remember, these instruments of education are the tools that we as parents use to help educate the whole child. They are our keys to educating a whole person. This third instrument of education is principle number eight of Charlotte Mason's 20 principles. Principle number eight says in saying that education is a life, the need of intellectual and moral, as well as of physical sustenance is implied. The mind feeds on ideas and therefore children should have a generous curriculum. We've already touched on the idea that children need living ideas to stay engaged with what they're learning. But today we're going to deep dive into what it means when we say education is a life, but also what it means to nourish a hungry mind. Principles number nine and 10, I shared those in the show notes, by the way, they touch on the mind as a living organism. Charlotte Mason once again uses the food analogies when she talks about nourishing the mind. She says that we know that food is to the body what fuel is to the steam engine, the sole source of energy. Once we realize that the mind too works only as it is fed, education will appear to us in a new light. When Mason says that education is alive, she means that life is sustained on ideas. Which brings me to my first point. If the child's mind is a living organism that needs nourishment, we need to figure out what that nourishment is. Mason describes this as a steady diet of books. The mind's food is living ideas. Mason describes that living ideas are found through a liberal education, through books, the written page, scriptures, musical symphony, she believed that art, singing, and dance were an important part of an education. In A Philosophy of Education, volume six of her works, she says, the only vital method of education appears to be that children should read worthy books and many worthy books. Why books? They provide living ideas rather than a parent just saying it's wrong to lie. They instead read a story about a character who did tell a lie and the child can see those consequences carry out in the story. We talked a little bit about this in our last episode. It has much more of an impact on the child. My child still talks about the story we read about George Washington and the cherry tree. He had cut down his father's tree, but instead of lying about the action, he was honest with his father and came clean. This left such an impact on my daughter It taught her that we all make mistakes, but it's how we react afterwards that matters, and in the end. Washington's father was incredibly merciful. But what kind of books do we need to read with our children? We need to steer clear of dry textbooks if we want to nourish the mind with living ideas. Mason writes, Look at any publisher's list of school books and you shall find that the books recommended are carefully desiccated, drained of the least suspicion of an idea, reduced to the driest statements of fact. The educator, or in our case, the mother teacher, cannot teach living ideas in a clinical way, but instead feed living ideas through books so that the seed might be sown. And the children can form an idea and relationship with those on their own. Keeping up with today's food analogies, we don't need to digest ideas for our children. I love the analogy of sowing the seed versus transplanting a plant. When we sow a seed or an idea, it grows and is nourished by its own mind, but when we digest an idea, or over-explain something to our children, we are transplanting an already-grown plant starter with that idea that already exists. This is what happens when we spoon-feed our children rather than letting their children be nourished on the best thoughts of the best minds. In this case, the writers of living books. We want to sow ideas for our children rather than transplant. So how do you identify a living book? It's something written with fact, history, and story, and a mass of illustrative details. Rather than that dry textbook full of facts we discussed earlier, in her Tenth Principle, Mason talks about the dangers of assuming the mind is a receptacle. The children are in much danger of receiving much teaching, but little knowledge. She writes in a philosophy of Education, We forget that it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God shall man live. Whether spoken in the way of some truth of religion, poem, picture, scientific discovery, or literary expression, by these things men live, and in all such is the life of the Spirit. The spiritual life requires the food of ideas for its daily bread. Charlotte Mason gives us a clear example of what a living education is not when an educator attempts to teach a themed unit to her students on Robinson Crusoe. In her book, Philosophy of Education, she writes a chapter called How We Make Use of the Mind, and I won't read the entire excerpt today, but I wish I could. If you have the book, volume 6. I highly suggest you read it. It's on pages 115 and 116. She describes a perfectly planned out lesson, ten of them, in literature, in which chapters are discussed, themes are discussed, ships are drawn, sentences are copied, from the blackboard, and Mason writes about this. She says, The conscientious, ingenious, laborious teachers who produce these concentration series are little aware that each lesson is an act of lay majesty, meaning a crime. The children who are capable of and eager for a wide range of knowledge and literary expression are reduced to inanities. A lifelong ennui is set up Every approach to knowledge suggests avenues for boredom, and the children's minds sicken and perish long before their school days come to an end. So it's no secret that Charlotte Mason was not a fan of themed units. So we close the chapter on the three instruments of education with this powerful call to action for us as mothers. She says all I have said is meant to enforce the fact that much and varied humane reading as well as human thought expressed in the forms of art is not a luxury a titbit to be given to children now and then but their very bread of life which they must have in abundant portions and at regular periods. The books we keep in our home, the stories we feed our children, the artists and composers, the scripture and music, it will all have a lasting effect on a child. I'll talk more about this in a couple more episodes on what the Charlotte Mason Feast actually is. All these subjects I keep spewing off to you will finally make sense when I explain how she taught the knowledge of God the knowledge of man, and the knowledge of the universe. So today we've covered how the mind is a living organism, and just like any living thing, it needs food. This food is living ideas, provided by great minds and through the truth, beauty, and goodness that a Charlotte Mason education has to offer. Our children don't need us to give them transplants, but rather seeds sown for them to grow and thrive in their own minds. Join us next time as we discuss another important idea from Charlotte Mason's 20 Principles. Education is the science of relations. One of the hallmarks of a Charlotte Mason education is narration, the act of knowing and telling back. At the end of each episode, I ask that you either write down or tell a friend your mom, your husband, whomever, about what you learned from today's podcast. You can also share on Instagram and tag me so I can read your narration. It is my hope and prayer that whatever you gathered from today's episode blesses you and your family. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Thank you.